Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg, and I'm here to read you the Dvar Torah for Parshat Emor. The title is Partners with God. Parshat Emor contains a list of Jewish holidays. The opening instruction to Moshe reads as follows, quote, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them, The feast days of the Lord, which you shall declare to be days of holy gathering, these are my feasts. That's citation Leviticus 23, verse 2. The rabbis turn this simple, straightforward opening sentence into a declaration that the covenant between God and Israel is a partnership. Here is the rabbi's interpretation of that verse. Until Israel entered into covenant, literally until it became God's people, quote, the feast days are set by the Lord. For example, the Shabbat was sanctified and ordained by God before the Jewish people even existed. As it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Continuing, the rabbis, Now that you are my covenant people, again to the quote, you shall declare these to be days of holy gathering. In other words, the rabbinic courts declare the date of the new month, Rosh Chodesh, and then set the dates of the holidays, such as Pesach on the 15th or 21st of Nisan, or Shavuot, the 6th of Sivan, or Sukkot, the 15th through the 22nd of Tishrei. Continuing the rabbi's interpretation of the verse, therefore by your Israel's actions, quote, these days become my God's commanded feasts. This rabbinic interpretation may appear at first glance to be a technical fact. Rabbinic courts set the first day of the new month, which in turn determines the actual day on which the holidays of the month are set aside as sacred days and are celebrated. But the rabbis are making a much deeper point. Another midrash will highlight what I'm saying. It tells the following quote, When the angels who serve before God enter the divine presence, they ask, one is Rosh Hashanah, one is Yom Kippur. The Holy One, the Blessed, says to them, Why are you asking me? You and I should go to the lower court, that is the rabbinic high court, and they will tell us. Um, this is found in Medrash in Dvorim Rabbah and quoted by Rabbi Joseph Salavitchin, Halachic Man, pages 80-81. In other words, the people of Israel, through their rabbinic courts, have become the partner of God. Their designations of the holy days are binding on God and the heavenly realm. In effect, the Jews are sanctifying the holidays. God follows their rulings and accepts their actions as normative in the covenant. An illustration of this halachically is that in the Kiddush sanctification ritual for Shabbat, we bless God, quote, who sanctifies the Shabbat, Mekadesh Shabbat? In the holidays, Kiddush, however, we bless God, Mekadesh Yisrael, who sanctifies Israel, and they in turn, the Hasmanim, they in turn sanctify the holidays. The idea that God is not just reaching out and offering a relationship to humans, but is asking them to become partners in a covenant, a covenant of Tikkun Olam is one of Judaism's revolutionary ideas. The model of partnership prevents or corrects the two negative impacts 
which the encounter with God has had on human beings in history. For example, to many people, and in many religions, including Judaism at various times, the discovery of the existence of the infinite, all-powerful God, who cares about humans, leads to a certain regression, even infantilizing of people. Instead of taking responsibility, people turn over their requests and needs to the Supreme Lord. They ask God to do it all for them, i.e. bestow a better world, or give them their specific personal needs by divine miraculous gift. But the partnership concept rejects this magical thinking. It makes clear that unless the people do their share, God will not do it for them. There's another pathology, as it were, which partnership stops in its tracks. Many people are so overwhelmed by divinity and visions of heaven that they turn their efforts to divine service and to earning their way into heaven instead of working to repair this world. Marx scorned this effect as religion becoming, quote, the opium of the masses, unquote. He charged that those who controlled power and wealth taught people such an otherworldly concept of religion to get them to accept the status quo here and now, which was exploiting them. The masses did not challenge the unfair distribution of wealth because they were focused on the world to come. And in history, religion often became the bulwark of undemocratic regimes. Its teachings pacified the peasants or serfs not to rebel to improve their status. The approach of partnership, however, makes clear that God is asking people not to switch their attention from this life, but to become more involved in repair of the world and into working toward overcoming the enemies of life, which are poverty and oppression and war and sickness. The covenantal partnership also communicated two great positive gifts of God's presence in the world. For one, the uncontested reign of the wicked was broken. Henceforth, people would never be alone. Just when people were ready to surrender to the powers that be and yield to despair, God intervenes and upholds them. In the words of Psalm 94, quote, Were God not my help, I would have soon dwelt in permanent silence. When I thought my foot was slipping, your covenantal love sustained me. The second positive in the partnership is that, in God's presence, is that God serves as an incorruptible standard of justice and fairness. The Lord is a judge who cannot be bought or controlled. When the wicked become all-powerful and control human institutions as well become the arbiters of right and wrong, the oppressed still have access to God, who validates their cause and condemns the oppressors. The covenant partnership idea also bestowed two great callings on human beings. One is that they understand that even though this is God's worlds, as it says in Psalms, quote, the earth and its fullness is the Lord's, the whole world and all who dwell within it. Nevertheless, they are partners, that is, part owners. They cannot just punch a clock, put in their hours of work, and let others worry about the big picture. As part owners, they must look out for the general condition of the earth. Whether the trends, such as in climate or population, are positive or negative, 
They must take action to keep the earth on a positive keel. They cannot pass the buck and leave it to God while simply serving their time. Now it should be understood that humans are partners not only in the mundane, but in the religion. All members of the covenant are stakeholders in the inculcation of values, in the unfolding of the tradition, and in the transformation of the covenant, and in the human or Jewish mission to perfect the world. They cannot simply receive the Torah and repeat its actions automatically. In Soloveitchik's words, quote, halachic man, which really means jury, receive the Torah from Sinai, not as a simple recipient, but as a creator of worlds, as a partner with the Almighty in the act of creation. That's a direct quote from Halachic Man, page 8182. The partnership gives humans the task to apply the Torah in new or changed conditions. They have the responsibility to find new ways of living properly, as are necessary. And this includes when there is new evidence or new understanding and the inherited Torah is having a destructive effect. The human partner has the responsibility to adjust the Torah, to make sure that it is as it wants to be on the side of life and of world repair. Let me cite two examples which I am engaged with personally. One is where in the course of history, Gentiles have become devalued and their religions were dismissed as idolatry because they were enemies of Jewry and acted badly toward us. Now there is the task of revaluing and upgrading their lives as being in the image of God, as all humans are. Similarly, covenantal Jewry has the task of finding the presence of God in their midst and recognizing their religions and ethical values in the others' religions. We need to cooperate with them in fulfilling our God-given mandate to uphold life and to repair the world. The second example is in dealing with gay people. Our generation has established that same-sex attraction is not a perverse anti-family choice. It is a biologically based, natural sexual expression on the spectrum of sexuality. Therefore, one cannot hide behind the claim that I, this generation, just work here. As partners, we are responsibility we are responsible for the fact that the Torah's strictures, which were directed against a promiscuous, power-driven, rather than relationship-focused, an anti-family form of sexual behavior, are now being applied to harm people who want to live lives of committed relationship, of emotional faithfulness, as well as to raise families. So we have the authority as partners to confirm these ethical and family values in these relationships and to guide the Torah to sanctify and enable these lives also. This generation has the power to make these adjustments. In Soloveitchik's words, by entering into covenant partnership, quote, the Holy One, the Blessed, has, as it were, handed over his imprimatur, his official seal in Torah matters to man. It is as if the creator of the world himself abides by man's decision and instruction, close quote. Never mind the as it were or as if phrases in Salvation. The human partners in the living generation have the full responsibility to act. 
They need not be of the same stature as the generations before. As the Talmud says, Jephthah in his generation has all the needed religious authority, as Samuel had in his generation, although Jephthah was far inferior in wisdom and spiritual strength to Samuel. See the Talmud's comment, Rosh Hashanah 28b, and this means that our generation has a similar authority to do what needs to be done. Let me put the partnership role in my words. God and the Torah depend, depend on later generations to be responsible partners. To look away when something is going wrong allows the Torah to become a vehicle of discrimination and oppression. The partner's task is to assure that the Torah is humane and life-affirming in all its applications. Permit me to add a footnote to my comment that when something is going wrong and you look away, this allows the Torah to become a vehicle of discrimination and oppression. My example is the current situation of Agunot. The Torah's instruction was to husbands to issue the get divorce document. This was intended to protect wives from arbitrary and impulsive oral dismissal. But now this authorization is being used by the husbands to hold the wives chained in a failed marriage by not issuing the get. Not only have the rabbinic courts for the most part failed to stop this oppression, by releasing women through alternate halachic methods of ending a marriage, that is, methods other than a get. But they have typically refused to do this and typically delegitimated the handful of rabbis who are trying to end this abuse by issuing and using the non-get halachic solutions. Thus, people are failing their task as partners. In fact, they are becoming partners in abusing and allowing the Torah to be turned an instrument of abuse.